Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn with me to the book of Luke, the ninth chapter. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's going to be the passage that we will begin with this morning in our study. Luke 9 and verse 23. This morning I'm going to begin a series of lessons on walking in his steps. So that's what I've called it. Walking in his steps. And we're going to... Uh, talk about some things that are important for us as Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ uh, in our growth, in our walk as Christians, some things that the Lord expects of us. The next several lessons will be focused on that. A month ago, uh, four weeks ago, I presented a lesson called Foundational Principles of Real Discipleship. Last Sunday evening, Brother Van Devener preached a lesson on discipleship, talking about what it means to be a disciple. And... Uh, a month ago, in the lesson that I presented, I focused on Luke's chapter 6 and Luke's account of the Beatitudes. And so we talked about the things that are you know, foundational regarding discipleship. The disciples' values, the disciples' treatment of others, the disciples' devotion to his teacher. The disciple follows his teacher. So really we talked about what it means to be a disciple. This morning I, I'm going to talk more along the lines of what becoming a Christian is really all about. What does it mean to be a Christian? You say you want to be a Christian. You, you say that you want to follow Jesus Christ. Really? Are you sure about that? I hope that you do. I, I wish that, and I, my heart's desire, like the Apostle Paul, my heart's desire is that everyone would become a Christian, 100%, sold out for Jesus Christ, 100% devoted to Christ and His call. But because that's what Christianity is really all about. I'm afraid that a lot of people do not know that. They don't know what it means to be a Christian. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I'll just go ahead and tell you where we're going. Uh, then we're going to talk next week, Lord willing, about what, it, what we have in Christ. Why it's important, why it is valuable to hold to the things of Christ. And then increasing in the knowledge of God, we're going to talk about that. We've been talking about that in our Sunday morning Bible class. and talked about that this morning. Standing against evil forces. How can we oppose and resist the devil? And giving all diligence to grow. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. And discussing what it means to grow and what is necessary for that to occur. Bearing fruit that honors God. What does God expect of us as Christians? Growing by serving in the body. What are some things that we ought to be doing? And just living for heaven. Keeping our focus where it ought to be. So that's, that's where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. But this morning, what becoming a Christian is all about. It is good to see everyone this morning. Thank you for being here. And I hope that our study this morning is beneficial. Beginning in Luke, the ninth chapter, in verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I guess you can kind of sum up what being a Christian is all about right there in those three expressions. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it or will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world 
and he is, and is himself destroyed or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Well, you have to take up that cross. The cross is part of it. Do you really want to follow Jesus? That means that you have to first and foremost deny yourself. What does that mean? We'll talk about that in a minute. Turn on a little further in the chapter, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now what does all of this mean? It means that following Jesus is not going to be easy, number one. It's going to be inconvenient for you to follow Jesus. So many today, they're looking for a convenient religion. It has to fit their lifestyle, you know. It, and that's why they've transformed it the way that they have, to fit themselves. They want what they want. They're going to do what they want to do. And they, they have changed, so changed the gospel that it allows them to be whoever they want to be. Well, that's not the way Christianity is. Christianity is inconvenient. Jesus said, you follow me, listen, you need to realize the birds have holes, or the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? And someone else says, you know, yeah, I'll follow you. He says, follow me. And someone says, yeah, sure, but let me first go and bury my father. In other words, he was waiting on his father to die. His father hadn't died yet. And so he's going to wait, and who knows how long that's going to be. And Jesus says, no, listen, you follow me. I must come first, in other words. I must come first above your parents. I must come first beyond everybody and everything. Another says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Wait a minute. If you're going to follow me, you follow me. Let's go. Um, this going back and wasting time isn't, isn't going to work. Follow me. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow needs to realize, looking back, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. It's time to work. There's a plow involved. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? What does it really mean to be a disciple? Let us first and foremost realize being a Christian is not about me. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's not about the blessings and the rewards that I get. That's not what following Jesus is really all about. Now, yes, there is a reward. Absolutely. It pays great. Doesn't pay here now, but it pays later. And it's certainly worth it. But you must know and understand that following Jesus is not about you. It's, 
It's not about me at all. Listen, I've been ruined by sin just like you have. Sin has destroyed me. I have been ruined. Romans 3 and verses 9 through 20. You know, Paul quotes from a lot of passages in the book of Psalms especially. And he emphasizes what sin has done. And what sin has done to humanity. And it all culminates in the point that he makes in verse 23 where he says, For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. That's the point that he's really driving at. But he wants us to see our sin. He wants us to recognize our sin. You cannot be saved until you first recognize your sin and what sin has cost you. Sin has cost you your relationship with God. Sin has cost you your soul. You are lost without hope apart from God. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. You're aliens. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you are outside the blessings of God's people. You are lost and you have no hope. No hope in the world. The only hope you have is condemnation. That's what sin does to you. It's not all about you. You're a sinner. I am completely undeserving of God's grace, of God's mercy. I do not deserve His love at all. Jesus came to this earth simply because He loved us. God sent him because he loved us. John 3, 16. Romans 5 and verses 8 through 10. God's love is manifested in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Has nothing at all to do with us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all walked in sinful behavior. Titus 3, 1 through 5. But yet God's love, his mercy was manifested, it was shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we, we can all, and we must all say, we are not saved by the works of righteousness which we have done. God's love and God's mercy is not due to our righteousness, but because of His mercy and His love. I am completely undeserving of God's mercy. Now, if I... Never sinned, I would be somewhat deserving, I guess. I would deserve the reward because I have worked for it. But nobody can say that. That's why Paul emphasizes we are not saved by works. That's what he means by that. He doesn't say you don't have to obey Jesus. That's not what he's saying at all. So many people twist the scripture and make it mean that. But that's not what it means. I deserve condemnation. Not God's love. I, de I, I deserve to be lost, not God's forgiveness. I certainly do not deserve His acceptance or the glorification that comes from following Jesus Christ. I don't deserve any of it. That's what is emphasized in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. We are sinners. And the natural consequence of sin is death, eternal death. Eternal separation from God. However, God has saved us by His grace. His unmerited favor. It's not merited. It's unmerited. And so we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. Salvation is not from us. It is not of us. But it is of God. We are saved by grace through faith. That's our part. That's our contribution to, contribution to the soul salvation process. I believe God, I believe what He has done. I trust Him 
and I submit to him. Faith. Say by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't work off my sin. I can't work my way into heaven. Can't do it. We've all sinned and come short of his glory and deserve nothing but condemnation. But God's loved us and he's given his son for us anyway. And thus we are saved by his unmerited favor. Being a Christian is not all about making me happy. It's not about being blessed now. So much of Christianity today or so-called Christianity is about what people want. I mean, churches actually make out a list and send it out to find out what people want. What do you want in your church? What do you want in your worship experience? What do you, what do you desire? It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't make any difference what I feel like would make me happy. Being a Christian is about following Jesus Christ, serving Him, and worshiping God through Him the way that God has told us to. It's not about me. It's not about making me happy. As Joel Osteen says, you have your best life now. <laughs> no. Being a Christian is not about having your best life now. Not even close. How upside down is that? But a lot of people have that idea. So, okay, being a Christian is not about me. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about giving myself to Jesus. Not, look, it should be manifested in the name that we wear. You know what, that's why I am opposed to calling myself a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Catholic or anything else. I'm a Christian. And I'm not ashamed to say I am a Christian and only a Christian, nothing but a Christian. That's all we should be, right? They were called Christians first in Antioch, Acts 11 and verse 26. That's the divinely given name. That's what I need to be. It's all about Jesus. Anything else is going to distract from Jesus, my friend. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things. Having no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. He said that he had been informed, though, by the house of Chloe that there was divisions among them. And he believed it. Some of them said that I am of Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Paul, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Uh, we need to be Christians. Follow Christ and Him alone. The church I am a member of. People ridicule and they make fun of and mock the church of Christ. They call us all kinds of names. And there's no question that there are those who say that they're members of the church of Christ who are not. And they're just as denominational as anybody else. I understand that. But really, Jesus came to build his church. He promised to build his church, didn't he? Matthew 16, verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Whose is it? Acts 2, verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Whose church did he add them to? Ephesians 1, and 23. Jesus is the head of the church. Whose church is he the head of? Acts 5, or Ephesians 5 and verses 23 through 25, he died for the church, he shed his blood for the church, gave himself for the church. 
He is the Savior of the body. He's the head of the church and Savior of the body of the church, etc., etc. I'm a member of the Lord's church. Nobody else's. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of being a member of the church of Christ or the body of Christ. Not at all. It's all about Jesus, right? The Lord I love and I humbly follow and obey, that's, that's what my life must be all about. It's not about anything else. It's about following Jesus. It's about serving Him. Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If I love Him, I will. Every word and every deed that I am to do is to be done in His name. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, He died for me. Therefore, I live for Him. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about the one who died for me. And in the process, I need to die to myself. I need to deny myself and take up His cross daily and follow Him. Being a Christian is about following Jesus. It's not about you anymore. Let's get that point straight in our minds first. Understand it. And those who profess to be Christians, they need to understand it. We need to accept it. And we need to do it. We need to make our life all about Jesus. You know, sometimes we talk about the plan of salvation. And you've heard me say several times, many times, that the plan of salvation is not just a checklist that you can go down, okay, done step one, done step two, done step three, done step four, done step five, I'm done. <laughs> That's not the way it works, is it? In fact, if you really think about the five steps of salvation, we often refer to them as, or the plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and then be faithful. We, we, we hear that, really that's six, isn't it? But we hear this. There's, there's more to it than just a checklist. To hear means to receive the true message of the gospel. To receive it as seed that is planted in fertile soil. Luke 8, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. And we're to receive, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. James 1, 18. I am to take this word, just as in Acts chapter 2, those who heard the, the Apostle Peter preach that first gospel sermon, they heard his words, they took it in, they listened to what he said as Peter argued from the Old Testament the truth of his message and pointed out the things that they had themselves had seen and heard was indeed true and in harmony with the message. And as they had listened to what Peter said, by the time he got down to verse 36, when he said, this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up and made both Lord and Christ. See, he had, he, he had talked to them all about who Jesus is. They said in verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why? Because they were pricked in their hearts. The word had penetrated into their heart. It had cut their heart open. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's response was, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. They heard the gospel message. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, we must hear the truth. Not just some story about Jesus. We must hear the truth. And what we must do in response to that truth. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
Now that believing goes far, far, far further than just acknowledgement of his person as who he is and what he's done for us. There's more to it. Believing means a strong conviction in the truth and confidence in him for who, because of who he is. I am confident. I trust him. And submission. A person who does not submit really, really does not believe. It can't be. A, a person who, who truly believes will, 100% of the time, respond in obedience. His will will be changed. Repent means a change of mind that results in a change of action. Turning away from myself, I deny myself. And I take up my cross, or the Lord's cross. I change my mind. I confess, I state publicly my allegiance to Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In that statement, I don't, I don't just say some words that I believe in my heart. I am making a profession of allegiance. It's kind of like when you're married. You know, and the two people are standing up at the altar and the preacher says, or the justice of the peace or whoever, says, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And the man says, I do. What's he saying? He's pledging allegiance to his wife. That's what you're doing when you confess that he's the Christ, the Son of God. Baptism, we are cleansed of our sins and we are joined to Christ. Our sins are washed away, Acts 22, 16. But also, like in marriage, we are joined to Christ in that act. We are married to Christ. And we are now responsible to him as his, faith, as his faithful bride. And we are to live for Christ. Our life is no longer our own. A Christian's life is now given to Christ himself. There is a term that is used over and over in the New Testament in relationship to our relationship to Jesus that term is servant, bond servant. And literally that word is slave. Slave. We are owned by Jesus. Now he's not a harsh taskmaster. Master. He's our owner. He purchased us with what? With his own blood. He is our Lord in the absolute sense. He tells us what to do. He's not our buddy. Yes, he is friendly to us, and he is our friend from that perspective, but that's not all he is. Don't, don't look at him like just a buddy-buddy. He's your Lord. He's your master. He loves you, and he cares for you. And his yoke is easy. His burden is indeed light. But he's your Lord. And you need to live for him. Obey him and serve him with faith, with faithfulness. Uh, Luke six forty six through forty nine. We looked at that a few weeks ago. 
In John the 15th chapter, we're to abide in His words. If we abide in His words, then we will bear fruit. We are to serve Him. Paul defines this and talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. And it goes to what I was just saying, beginning in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, in, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may gain, attain to the resurrection from the dead. What was Paul willing to give up? How did Paul view what it meant to be a Christian? wasn't about him. It's all about Jesus. Being a disciple. And Brother Van Devener talked about these things uh, last Sunday night, so we're not going to dig into it. But just to be a disciple, first and foremost, means that you're a diligent student. You want to learn and know the things that your master has to teach. You are in, an enthusiastic adherent. You take what he says and you apply it to your life. You imitate your master. You follow him. You do what he does. You think like he thinks. And the more that you learn of him, and the more that you apply his will to your life, the more you will be like him. You become associated closely with your master. You are fully committed to your master. That's what being a real disciple is all about. That's what the word disciple means. To be a Christian. You know there are many different terms in the New Testament. That are descriptive in nature. Regarding the child of God. Many terms. For example in John 10 we're called sheep. And Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Sheep hear Jesus and follow him. As sheep, we're humble. We're trainable and teachable. We, we follow the voice of our master wherever it goes. As a child, we're called children, children of God. And Ephesians 5 and verse, verse 1 says that we are to imitate our father as dear children. Children are also humble, teachable. I mean, these children, it, it's amazing. You know, how impressionable they are, and how smart they are, and how important it is for them to see the right example in us, because you need to realize they're always watching. But children are so trusting and dependent. That's the way that we need to be. One must become as this little child if he wants to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Children are forgiving and kind. For the most part. As a soldier. We're called soldiers. 2 Timothy 2 and verses 3 and 4. We are to fight the good fight. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We are at war. And we need to realize that. We are a laborer. 
a servant, a slave in a vineyard. And we are to work. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, you do have the picture of a laborer. The Lord goes out and he finds people to work and he offers them a day's wage. And so they come early in the morning and they work. And then later in the day, he goes out and finds some more. And they come and they work. And he goes out and finds some more. And they come and they work. And he goes out and finds some more. And they come and they work. Those at the last of the day come in and only work for just a short time. And then he pays them all equally. And those who worked all day were upset with Jesus about that. But it's up to the master how much to pay. But of course the point is they worked. And we're to be workers. We're to be workers in the Lord and serve him with what time we have. As a branch to bear fruit. To remain attached to the vine and to bear fruit for the master. As a priest to offer spiritual sacrifices. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. As a bride we are to remain holy and loyal and true. As a citizen, obey our king to respect him. So all these descriptive terms help us to understand what it truly means to be a a Christian. What becoming a Christian is all about. We hear Jesus. We follow him. We trust him. We depend upon him. We fight for him. We work for him. We bear fruit for him. We worship through him. We remain loyal to him. We follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? I remember uh, years ago there was a fellow in Pine Bluff that every Easter he would drag his cross from one end of Main Street to the other. He would start down there, Brother Larry, you know where that sunbeam bread sign is there at the one end of Main Street. He would start down there and he would go all the way up Main Street, all the way to you got to the courthouse. Drug his cross. It had wheels on it, too. Had an ice chest attached to the back of it. So it had water, I guess, in it. I don't know what it had in it. But that's not what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus is that we obey Him. We obey Him. We do what He tells us to do. We submit to His will. Hebrews 5 and verse 8, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. We obey him. We bear fruit. Matthew 13 and verse 23, Those who receive the seed on the good ground, they bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Now we're all going to bear different amounts of fruit. What is fruit, by the way? What does it mean to bear fruit? We'll talk about this later in another lesson. But I'll just tell you right now, it's not so much, you know, evangelism is part of it, but that's not the idea. How many other Christians can you make? Bearing fruit has to do with personal growth, spiritual growth. Are we bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are, Are we bearing the fruit of good deeds for others? Are we teaching the gospel? Uh, Yeah, a lot of different things involved in that. We develop godly character. We, We become not just like Jesus in what we do, but how we think. Our attitude and our perspective on life is governed by being like Jesus. We see things as Jesus sees them. We do have the list of Beatitudes in Matthew 5. 
we have the emphasis on being kind and forgiving and caring and patient and loving. Colossians 3, 12 through 16. Those who look to Jesus, 1 John 3, verse 3, purifies themselves even as He Himself is pure. We are good stewards. We realize that God has given us responsibilities. We have gifts. We have talents. So we're to use those for His service. We are to be good stewards. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. What about those who do not do what they have the ability to do? What about the one who went and hid his talent in the sand and covered it up and buried it until his Lord came back? And then he said, went and dug it up and he took it back to the Lord and says, here's what you gave me. Whereas the other two fellows had taken what the Lord gave them and they had increased them by using them. You see, we must be good stewards. Using what the Lord has given us. We must suffer with Him and for Him. We must suffer. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 Jesus told His disciples, You will suffer Me. A servant is not greater than his master. If Jesus suffered, so will we. That's part of taking up the cross, by the way. The cross is an emblem of death. Many Suffering, many persecutions we must endure before we enter into the kingdom of heaven. Paul says in Acts 14.22. And of course, if we follow Jesus, we will be with him where he is. We will be with him in glory. That's certainly where we all want to be. But it's really all because of Christ and what he has done. And by following him, we will be with him. So many passages emphasize this in the New Testament. John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus promises his apostles. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where I go, you can't come now. But later, you will be with me where I am. They ask him, how do we know the way? Of course, his response in verse 6 is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. But if we follow Jesus, we will be with him in glory. Now listen, in the process of following him here, however, we must obey him, bear fruit, develop our character that is similar to Jesus Christ himself, to become like him, to be stewards, to suffer with him, all of this, and we'll receive the glory because we will be with him. But being a Christian in this life is not easy. There are many trials and temptations, persecutions. Now certainly if we follow him in this life, even those seem light. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, my light afflictions. That's what he called all of his afflictions. That's how we should view them. But becoming a Christian is not easy. We are to become like Jesus. You know, in teaching and learning, we need to learn so that we can teach. And we need to teach so that we can learn. We need to explain and understand. And we're going to talk about these things more. But listen, we need, as we talked about in Bible class this morning, it's not enough just to have the academic knowledge. We need to understand the will of God. We need to understand and have 
wisdom in properly applying the teachings of Scripture and the applications of Scripture to our lives. We must be trained. And the only way that I know to train is to do. I told a story before about when I was in high school. When I was in 11th grade, I had my favorite teacher was Mr. Hemphill. He was a great teacher uh, in industrial arts. I love to make things and do things with my hands. It's just something I've always wanted to do. And at that time, I was, I was working with a construction company. Anyhow, it started when I was 14. But when I was 17 in Mr. Hemphill's industrial arts class, uh, we made all kinds of things. We built shops. We worked on cars. We welded. You name it, we did it. When I was a senior, Mr. Hemphill retired after my 11th grade year. And in senior year, I, walked, I, I wanted industrial arts again, so I signed up for it. And I walked in there on the first day, and there were desks with books on them. How ridiculous is this? I thought to myself. <laughs> and this little young teacher comes out. He just graduated UAPB. And he's going to teach us industrial arts with books. And we had to sit in death. We did not touch a tool all year long. Didn't do anything. How much do you think we learned? Oh, well, you got to do it, you know. You can take a sheet of plywood and you can pop you a line on that piece of plywood and you can take that skill saw and you can try to cut a straight line. How easy is that? But if you do it a few hundred times, it's real easy. You know, it gets a lot easier as you go. You have to do it. We become like Jesus by doing. By following. And you don't become like Jesus overnight. It takes time. It takes patience and endurance. It takes failure. But if we follow Jesus, we will become like him. And that's the end goal. My friend, being a Christian will sometimes feel lonely. It's great to have others with like precious faith around you. And you need to surround yourself with people of like precious faith. But there will still be times when you, are, you feel like you are alone. Because you have to take a stand and only you can take it. You're going to feel isolated because you lose a friend. Or you lose a family member. You lose a child. You're, you're, and I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually because of your faith in Christ and the stand that you take for Christ. It's going to cause division in your family. Jesus said, I did not come to bring... Peace, but a sword. Following him means there will be divisions. So at times I'm going to feel lonely. But we must remember that God will never leave us alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's the point of Paul in Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And he goes on and emphasizes that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? The end result is going to be our glorification. That's what we're after. As a Christian, we may have to stand alone. And it's not going to be easy. We live in a world that is wicked, that is depraved, and it's getting worse. Sometimes we may have to stand alone.
Young people, you're in school, and people will make fun of you. They'll laugh at you. But you have to take a stand against alcohol. You're going to have to take a stand against drugs. You're going to have to take a stand against sex, illicit sex, unmarried sex. You're going to have to say no. People will laugh at you. Just as the people laughed at Noah, just as the people laughed at Lot, just as people laughed at Jesus, they'll laugh at you. They'll stand alone. But it can be done. In Hebrews 11th chapter, you have that great hall of fame of faith of all those people who trusted God and followed Him. That proves to you that you can do it. As Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, that great cloud of witnesses. Uh, they say that we can be faithful to the Lord. And it also is worth it. Why is it worth it? Why is it worth it? How is following Jesus worth it? Well, you don't follow Jesus, you may have some enjoyment in life. You may pursue a life of sin. Now eventually that sin is going to catch up with you. And it's going to destroy you even in this life. It's going to rob you of joy and peace and happiness in this life. Okay? But it, it looks like it's going to be fun. Alright? But if you choose Jesus, you're, you, you're not going to have all that stuff in this life that many people will have. You, you're not going to have as much fun, so, so we... You know, so it's perceived anyway. You're not going to have as much fun as everybody else does. You're not going to be going to the dances and you're not going to be going to the, you know, to the bars and you're not going to be doing this or doing that. Everybody seems to have so much fun doing all that stuff. No, they, not really. They're just drowning their sorrows. And the reality is those who are Christians, it may look like they're... It's a rough life, a hard life, an unpleasurable life. That's not true. That's what it looks like from the outside. We think, well, how's all that going to be worth it in the end? Because you have everlasting life. You're with the Lord forever and ever. In contrast to eternity separated from God, where all these other people are going, they're going to have eternity away from God in hell. Heaven or hell? Those are your options. You're going to one of the two. The only way to be with God in heaven is to follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, you'll be eternally separated from him. That's your choice. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And it's not all about me. It's all about Christ. Are we willing to just lay aside ourselves? And follow Jesus. Put him first. Are we willing to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean truly obey it. Submit to Jesus Christ in our heart, in our will. Yield our life to him. Learning his will in our life and following that will for our life. And becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And that includes the cross. It's worth it. But it's up to us. You can become a Christian today. Right now. If you're not. If you're willing to accept the cost. No, you can't pay for your salvation. 
You can't work your way to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to get to heaven until you give Jesus your life. It cost you everything. Just like it cost him everything. He died for you so that you could be with him. Are you willing to pay the price? If you need to be baptized into Christ this morning, you can be. It's up to you. If we can help you, why not come while we stand, while we stand?